All right, all right, all right, all right. Testing one, two, three. Microphone check. How many are happy to be in God's house? Can you say amen? amen? Good to see your beautiful faces here today. And those of you who are joining us on our online campus, it's good to imagine you there. I know you're there, but I can't see you, so I just have to imagine you there. But I thank God for each and every one of you here today. As you know, this is week two of our Unstuck series. It's not too late to start a community group. I think community groups are probably going to be forming every week as we go. Uh, in your community group session, you'll just start at week one. It's no problem. Uh, so if you're interested, you can go to lineage.us slash community, or you can sign up in the fellowship hall after the service. And this is going to be a powerful time. My community group starts this afternoon. I'm so excited about being able to do this with some dear friends over a six-week period, uh, and I hope you're enjoying yours as well. All right, Father, speak to us today as we turn our hearts and minds toward your word. I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm going to draw your attention to a passage of scripture here in Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. We're going to talk about this dude named Moses that we've all heard about. Moses was the kid who his parents didn't want him to be killed. Pharaoh had determined that all the firstborn of Israel should die, and Moses was a baby, and so his mom built a little boat, a little raft, and put him in the boat in a little basket, put him out in the Nile River, and just then uh, Pharaoh's daughter was bathing downstream, and she saw the raft, and she had one of her, her servants grab the raft, and she opened it up, and it was a baby, and she said, this is one of the Hebrew babies. You know what? I'm going to raise him as my own son. And so Moses is a Hebrew, but he grows up amongst the Egyptians. He's kind of an outcast. He's too Hebrew to be an Egyptian He's too Egyptian to be Hebrew. The Egyptians don't fully embrace him because they know he's a Hebrew. And the uh, Hebrews don't embrace him because they know he's an Egyptian. So the whole concept of him being the prince of Egypt, not so much. He was never, you know, they would have never made him king of Egypt. He was never in line to be Pharaoh. He was just like this Hebrew bastard, basically, that Pharaoh's daughter just kind of rescued. And uh, so now he's grown. We get to... Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, and he's grown, and it says, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. So one day Moses walks outside knowing all his life that he was a Hebrew. His mother nursed him as a baby. Pharaoh's daughter hired his own mother to nurse him as a baby. So he knows from the time he's young that he's a Hebrew, but he also knows that he's privileged. And when he comes of age, when he comes to maturity, he looks out and he sees the burden of his brethren. And something inside doesn't feel right. Enjoying this privilege while they're in such a position, something doesn't feel right. Now, the next sentence is a complete shift. What happens in the next sentence is that Moses takes a step towards his destiny. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. First, he sees their burdens and empathizes. And then he sees their beating. And something on the inside of him rises up and says, this Egyptian is beating my brother. Verse 12. So he looked this way and that. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Now, what's behind this, what's underneath this, is that Moses, at this moment in his life, concludes that his destiny was to be the deliverer. 
all of a sudden it's like there's this logic to his life and experience that he was the only Hebrew boy who survived that massacre when he was a baby, which means that every year of his life, he was the only Hebrew boy that age. When he was five, he was the only Hebrew five-year-old boy. When he was 12, he was the only Hebrew 12-year-old boy. When he was 15, he was the only Hebrew 15-year-old boy. And now he's a grown man and he realizes that I am the lone survivor of my generation. God must have a purpose in that. God must have a plan in that. That cannot be a coincidence. And then he realizes that growing up in Egypt, he's learned everything about the Egyptians. He knows their, politi- their politics, their military strategies, their economics. He understands their culture, their society. He knows how everything works. He speaks their language, and he starts to think to himself, if anybody could deliver my people from Egypt, it would be me. There must be a reason God spared me. I think I'm going to take a step towards my destiny. This is my next right step. I've been stuck for all these years. Now I'm about to get unstuck. I'm about to walk into my destiny. I'm about to, as Bishop Jakes would say, maximize my moment. I'm about to live my best life now. And he, he went gangster about it. He said, this is the path to my destiny. And he kills this Egyptian and buries him in the sand. Now, in, in his mind, the calculus that he performed in his mind, he assumed that this would make him a hero amongst the Israelites. He assumed that there would be this mass awakening amongst his own people who were now slaves in Egypt, that they would all just come to awakening and say, wow, Moses is the lone survivor of his generation, and now he's going to be our deliverer. Like, he just assumed that they would put two and two together and come to the same conclusion. Go back to the text. The next day, what happens the next day? Verse 13, I believe it is. And when he went out the second day, Behold, two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to the one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? Verse 14. Then he said, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now, let's translate that. Moses feared and thought to himself, That little ungrateful Israelite that I saved yesterday went out and told everybody. Surely this thing is known. I'm in trouble. I I literally put my life on the line for them, and now they're going to get me killed. Verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. All right, thank you. Now, what's happening here? Moses makes a decision, I'm going to take a step towards my destiny. And it doesn't go as planned. He discerns, I'm called to be the deliverer. And he takes a step towards becoming the deliverer. And it all falls apart. 
Instead of becoming the deliverer, the deliverer, he now becomes a fugitive and has to run for his life. Have you ever sensed that your, direction, that your destiny was in one direction? And have you ever taken a step in that direction and it all fallen apart? You ever had that happen? When that happens, there's one or two possibilities. The first possibility is that you were wrong. And don't get me wrong, that's a real possibility. You could be wrong. You could have just thought you were gifted in that area and you're not. I've seen it. There was a brother in my old church, not in this church, who was trying to persuade me to make him the worship leader. I said, brother, I bear you witness that you have a heart for God. You love him with all of your heart. The problem is, he did not give you the gift of singing. When you sing, you sound like a cat being strangled. He said, but pastor, I love to sing. I said, that's great, sing all you want, in the shower, at home, in your office, in your car, but not on a platform with a microphone. The problem is, nobody else loves to hear you sing but you. So sing for the people who enjoy your singing. You. And he spent the next two years trying to persuade me that God had actually called him to be the worship leader. And I finally said to him, brother, God has such a wonderful ministry for you, but you'll never find it as long as you think it's singing. And it was the most loving thing I could have said. So it is possible that you stepped out in this direction and you were wrong. But what's more likely and what I see as being more frequent is you're not wrong, you just got the timing wrong. Moses was not wrong, he just didn't have the timing right. He wasn't wrong about the call of God on his life. He wasn't wrong about his destiny. He wasn't wrong. We all know the story. He actually did all of those things. But not for another 40 years. He was off by about 40 years. We started last week by talking about the aftermath of your life. At the end of your life, how do you want to end your life? What do you want to experience when you're lying on your deathbed on the last day of your life? Do you want to be able to look back at your life and say, I fought for the right stuff? I kept the faith and I did what I was supposed to do. The aftermath. And today we're going to talk about the interim. And the concept is that the timing and your destiny are two entwined components of knowing not only what your next step is, but when to take it. My great aunt lived to be 100 years old. It took her too long to die. I joke with my family members. I say it took her too long to die. Not that she died too late. Not that we had to put up with her. But she started talking about dying 30 years before she actually died. My thing is, if you're going to die, just die. Don't talk about it for 30 years. 
It's like, that's the burden on the family members is every time we have to go see you, we got to hear you talk about. And she would say the same thing every time. Benjamin, I don't know why I'm still here. I guess he's got something for me to do. Five years later, Annie Joe, how you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm fine, I guess, but I don't know why I'm still here. I guess he's got something for me to do. She's 85 years old. Annie Joe, how you doing? I don't know. I just don't know why I'm still here. I guess he's got something for me to do. She's 98 years old. How you doing, Annie Joe? I don't know why I'm still here. I guess he's got something for me to do. Finally, I couldn't take it anymore. I said, Annie Joe, he ain't got nothing for you to do. You just here. You're 98. You ain't got nothing to do. Just get over it. Accept it. You're here. And I looked back on that, and I realized there was actually a lot that she did in those latter years of her life. She was early 90s. I remember going to see her. My parents were taking care of her. She was living in my parents' home at the time. And she was just sitting by the sliding glass doors, watching the rain fall on the deck. Just a big smile on her face. And I came over to her. I said, Annie Jo, what are you doing? She said, oh, Benjamin, isn't, isn't water wonderful? It just comes down out of heaven, and it waters the ground. and makes all of our, our, our crops grow. And then when you're dirty, you can wash yourself with it, and it cleans you. And then when you're thirsty, you can put it inside your body, and it hydrates you. And God just gives us that. He just sends it right down out of the sky and gives it to us for free. Isn't God good? And I thought, when I, thought, when I think back on moments like that that I had with her, I realized she did a lot in those latter years. Maybe she wasn't starting companies. Maybe she wasn't curing world hunger. Maybe she wasn't fighting cancer. Maybe she wasn't freeing slaves. Maybe she wasn't, you know, doing any of the exploits that we think of when we think of significance in life. But she was teaching us how to enjoy the simple beauty of God's presence and the goodness of God that's all around us all the time. She was making us aware of the goodness of God that was all around us. The question is, how do I set myself up for that kind of aftermath? How do I set myself up so that in the last years of my life, I'm simply reveling in the goodness of God that's all around me? Well, I'm going to give you a key to that today. Here's perhaps the most important key. This is what all of us experience. In order to prepare yourself for the aftermath, and what I mean by the aftermath is after all your work is done and you just hear, the last days of your life, to prepare yourself to feel as Paul felt in the last days of his life, to be able to say, I fought the good fight, you have to learn how to deal with the interim. The interim. What's the interim? The interim is that period of time between your awareness that there's a greater destiny for you and that appointed time when God says, now. That's the interim. Moses had his awareness moment at 40. But God didn't come to him in the burning bush till he was 80. 40 years was the interim. 40-year interim between when he became aware that there was something bigger, something greater that God had in store for his life, and the moment when God came and said, now. 
And he misunderstood at first and tried to make it happen himself. May I say to you that not a single one of us can create our own appointed time. We can't determine it. We can't create it. We can't manipulate it. We can't change it. We can't shorten the time. We can't lengthen the time. God determines the appointed time. God says now, and it's now. And until God says now, it ain't going to be now, no matter how hard you and I try to make it now. And what happens is if we don't deal with the interim correctly, by the time God comes to us to say now, we're not even listening to him anymore. Because after 40 years, God finds Moses in this wilderness following, leading a flock of sheep, and all of a sudden Moses sees a bush on the side of the mountain that's burning, but not being consumed. And what does Moses say? This is in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. He says, I must turn aside to see this sight. Translation, I got to go check this out. God is doing something. I better go check out what God is doing. But what happens to us is we can get so discouraged and disappointed and disillusioned and frustrated in the interim that the burning bush happens and we ain't got no time. Nobody got time to be climbing up no mountain to see no fire. Because you're too disappointed and you're too discouraged because what happens is the enemy destroyed you in the interim. The interim is a time in which, in which your gifts don't function right. The interim is a time in which you don't see the return on your investment that you'd hoped for. The interim is a time when the people around you don't see the gifts that you have. Don't acknowledge the contribution that you've made. The interim is, I mean, can you imagine Moses in that 40-year interim? This guy is the deliverer of Israel. This is God's chosen instrument of deliverance for his people. But he is in the wilderness following a flock of sheep around a desert, which for an Egyptian was the worst possible job you could give. I mean, if you had the hierarchy of jobs, being a shepherd for an Egyptian would be below working at McDonald's. It'd be below being a janitor. I'd much rather be the house cleaner than the shepherd. It was detestable to the Egyptians. So Moses shows up and he's got all of this intelligence. He was raised in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he shows up in the desert and they say, we got a job for you. Go out and follow them sheep. And that's going to be your job for the next 40 years. Imagine having to work a job that you hated for 40 years. At what point would you just accept that this is all there is? At what point would you just give up in your heart and say, maybe I was wrong? I thought I knew God's call for my life, but I tried to do it and I failed. And I ended up with the worst possible job. And now I'm 80 years old. And it just feels like it's too late. This is it. There's nothing more than this for me. Just going to give up. But there was a little hope left in Moses, even after 40 years. When we think about Jesus, I don't think we realize what his most potent power was when he walked among us. Do you know what the most powerful gift that Jesus had was? 
patience. Because to think that for 30 years, he was the creator of the heavens and the earth. Through him, all things were made, and without him, not, nothing was made that was made. And for 30 years, he had zero power. Couldn't heal a sick person, raise a dead person, open the eyes of a blind person, open the ears of a mute person, nothing. No miracles, no healings, nothing. All that power locked up on the inside of him, no outlet for it. All that creativity locked up on the inside of him, no outlet for it. Everywhere he looked, he saw potential miracles, but had no power to work one. And for 30 years, he endured that, even while his own father, Joseph, suffered and died. While he stood next to his mother and brothers and held their hands and wept with them. Think about that. That when Jesus starts his ministry, where's his father Joseph? He was already dead and gone. Which means that Jesus had to stand by and watch his own father die. Why? Because it wasn't God's time yet. Because the day of his revelation had not come yet. Because the appointed time to reveal what God had put on the inside of him had not come yet. Some of you feel powerless and you're just in the interim. It's just not time yet. You used to think that you were called and gifted, but you don't think so anymore because you've been in the interim for so long. But God wants you to know today that it's just not time yet. You have no idea how gifted you are. You have no idea how powerful you are. You have no idea even how successful you're going to be because it's just not time yet. But you have also have no idea what will happen the moment God says, now it is time. We talk so much about being ready for the coming of the Lord. And this is what the Christian faith has become all about. I want to be ready for the coming of the Lord. I want to be ready when Jesus comes, when that trumpet blasts, boop, 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 I want to be ready to ascend in the sky to meet the Lord in the air. I just want to go to heaven when I die. And we completely miss the point that God has a work for you on this earth that you better be ready for. That you can't simply be ready for him to say, come to heaven, but not ready for him to say, go to work. God comes to Moses and says, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I have seen, I've heard the groans of my people in Egypt. I've seen their affliction, and I'm concerned about them, and I've come down to rescue them. Therefore, you go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses said, nah, dog. It's too late for all that. You're about 40 years yet late, God. You got the wrong guy. I used to think I could do that. God had to reverse 40 years of discouragement, reverse 40 years of disappointment, reverse 40 years of disillusionment, reverse 40 years of pain and anguish and frustration in Moses to get him ready to activate him and say, Moses, it's true. I'm saying it's time. I know that you've been waiting for so long, but now I'm saying it's time. What will God have to reverse in you if he were to come to you today and say, it's time? Just as, you know, Jesus told that parable of the wise and foolish virgins. The wise virgins, they just kept their lamps oiled and ready to go. And the foolish virgins kept their, they didn't put no oil in their lamps. In the ancient world, whenever there was going to be a wedding, 
They didn't schedule weddings. It's going to be on Saturday at 6 p.m. No, no, no. You had no clue. The wedding started when the groom showed up. And the groom showed up whenever the heck he felt like it. And so the wedding party had to be ready in a moment's notice so that when the groom showed up, they were ready for the wedding. We're going to start the wedding right now. The sound team had to stay on the board. The video team had to stay on the video. They had to keep the power running. The worship team had to band. Cool and the gang had to stay up there with the, right at their instruments ready to play. You don't go home and take a nap. You stay where the wedding is going to be because the, the groom could show up in the middle of the night. And if he showed up in the middle of the night, the wedding's happening right now. And you do not want to miss the marriage feast of the Lamb. And so we talk about that verse in the context of one day Jesus is going to descend from heaven. He's going to blow his trumpet. And if you ain't ready, you're getting left behind. And we miss the fact that the, there's a second application and a more poignant application That we are waiting upon the Lord. Every single one of us in this place is waiting on the Lord for an appointed time when God says, now, it's time now. And maybe you're ready for Jesus to come and to go to heaven, but you're not ready for him to activate your destiny. Moses, you got to stay ready. You're more powerful than you think, and I know you can't feel it now. There's some people in this room you used to feel so powerful. And then you've had so many years of disappointment that you don't feel as powerful as you used to feel. You used to feel so intelligent. You used to feel like you had so much industriousness in you that no endeavor that you embarked upon could possibly fail. You don't feel that anymore. You've been so beat up over the years that quote-unquote reality has set in and you've lost touch with the power of God and the glory of God that resides on the inside of you. You had a burning sense of destiny, but the, the, the waters of time have splashed out that fire and, and, and put it out. And the wick is not even smoldering anymore. You've begun to embrace a sense of smallness, of mediocrity. You've begun to embrace this whole lie of the enemy that what you have right now is all you're ever going to have and you're not ready. The word of the Lord to you is you better start getting ready. You better prepare your heart. You better awaken your mind. You better start getting ready because God has a divine destiny for you. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God himself ordained for you to walk in since before the world began. And what God wants you to know is that the exploits that he has destined you for, he destined you for before the world began. He doesn't give you his time clock. He don't tell you, I'm coming at 3 p.m. tomorrow afternoon. He shows up. He says, you just need to be ready because I'm coming at an hour that you don't expect. You just need to be ready. You need to be ready. You need to be ready. But how do you stay ready? You stay ready by watching. You got to be watching. Watching what? Watching for the coming of the groom. You've got to be awaiting his coming. 
Every day. Listen, if you feel called of God to be an entrepreneur and all of your entrepreneurial endeavors have failed, you need to wake up every morning going, but God, I'm watching today. Maybe this is the day when you're going to give me that life-changing idea and you're going to show me how to execute it. Maybe this is the day. You see, watching requires hope. It requires anticipation. And if you've lost your anticipation, you've lost your hope. And if you've lost your hope, you've lost your readiness. Even if God broke out in marvelous ways in your life tomorrow, you wouldn't even see it because you wouldn't have the energy to climb up the mountain and stand at the burning bush. How many burning bushes have passed you by because you were just too discouraged to climb half the hill? One of the most important verses of scripture to me is in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. The scripture says, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And what's the first thing he says in verse 15? The time has come. Let me tell you what that means. My 30 years of waiting are over. God just said it's time. My father just activated what he put in me. What's always been in me, it's been in me even before the foundation of the world. The time has come. The time has come for y'all fools to see that I'm more than a carpenter. I'm more than Joseph's, t- Joseph's son. The time has come. Y'all about to see stuff that you've never seen before. Why? Because for 30 years I've been patiently waiting for my father to say it is time. But my father just said it is time. And y'all better get ready because the time has come. Every devil in hell better tremble when my time comes. Y'all better get ready when my time comes. God's going to show you, and you need to have that attitude. Wait till my time comes. Wait till my time. But what did Jesus do? He was watching his father every day. Father, is it time yet? No, I'm going to wait upon you. Is it time yet? I'm going to wait. And if I wake up tomorrow and it's not time, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wait upon the Lord for another day. And if it's not time, I'm going to watch. And if it's not time, I'm going to watch because I know that he's coming. I know my time is coming. And there in the wilderness for 40 years, Moses lost his ability to dream. Over a 40-year period in a barren desert, he lost his ability to hope. But the reason that he was still able to climb that mountain when he saw the burning bush because he had not lost his ability to submit. He hadn't lost his ability to obey. Discipline is powerful, but sometimes submission is better. Submission is what I need when I lack discipline. Because I can do, by dis- I can do out of submission what I cannot do by discipline. Oh, good. If I need to get in shape but I lack the discipline to go to the gym daily, I need to find somebody who's in the gym who has already accomplished what I'm trying to accomplish and then submit myself to them. Yes. What does that mean? What time you work out? 5 a.m.? How many days a week? Six? All right, I'll be here at 5 a.m. 
six days a week. And then what do I do when I go to the gym? I don't know, ask them. I get to the gym, hey, so what am I supposed to do? Just do what you do? Okay, what are we, what are we working out? Submission. I wouldn't have had the discipline to think through all those exercises. But when I made a decision to submit myself to your process, I'm simply tagging. When I submit myself to your process, I tag along to your destination. When I submit myself to your process, I connect myself to your trajectory. That is, if I go with you, I end up where you're going. Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's all submission is. Has nothing to do with title. Nothing. Submission, first of all, is selective. Because one of the reasons why we hate submission is it sounds like control. And secondly, we are connected to a hierarchy. Throw out hierarchy, throw out control. Here's what submission is. It's simply selective. I submit to you when I see something in your life that you have that I don't have and I want. Secondly, I submit to that area. Not your whole life. Submission is not the right that somebody has to to control my life in every area. Because I'm going to go work out with Frank every morning, but if he gets on the phone and cusses his wife out, I'm not going to follow that. I'm just going to do those reps with him. I'm not going to talk to my wife that way, though. Because my wife will kill me if I try to talk to her that way, (laughs) right? If I go take piano lessons from somebody and and he's, you know, he's showing me the piano lessons, but then he's trying to push his politics on me, I'm just going to focus on those scales. I might nod my head when he's talking politics, but I'm not listening because I'm not here for your politics. I'm here for the scales. There was something in Moses, a submission to God that said, No matter how frustrated I get, no matter how discouraged or disappointed I get, when I see God doing something, I'm going there. We get that from one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know what that means? That means relationship looks like this. In every relationship, I look for something in your life, some work of God that I can submit myself to. And you look for some work of God in my life that you can submit yourself to. It's mutual. And you know what that becomes? Covenant. And as long as I've got folks in my life that I'm mutually submitted to, I can see a burning bush in you that draws me up the mountain even in the midst of my deepest discouragement. Which means that being ready does not mean to have 100% control over your emotions. It does not mean to never feel discouraged. It does not mean to never feel forsaken. It simply means that I have a fundamental decision that I've made that regardless of how dark it gets, When I see the fire, I'm following it. And when I see a burning bush in your life, I'm going to climb the mountain to see what it is. For some of you, it's been so long. And it's been so hard. But I got good news for you. Soon and very soon, 
the Father has appointed a time for you before the foundation of the world. And you have no clue what he's fit to do through you. And you have no clue who you're sitting next to. But if you wake up every morning and allow the Holy Spirit to put some hope in you again, to lift up your head again and say, this could be the day. And it might not be, but regardless, I'm looking for the day, for the appointed time. I'm watching and waiting, waiting for him to come into my city and say, now it's time. Bow your heads and let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I thank you that right now in this moment, right here in this place, it's okay. It's all right. It's okay. Right here in this moment, right here in this place, it's all right, worship team. It's okay. You're walking among us in the silence. You've orchestrated this moment. Lord, there are some in this place right now that have been so overwhelmed with disappointment that we are losing our expectation and our hope in the waiting. Lord, I would have loved for the appointed time in my life to be when I was 25, but you knew better. So often I'm jealous when I see people whose appointed time was when they were 25. But you were gracious to me. The more mature I become, the more aware I become that in giving me time, you're giving me grace. But Lord, I also rejoice when I see young people who are much younger than me, but you've taken them into an appointed time. I used to be jealous, now I rejoice. Lord, take our minds off of what you've done for this person or that person. And just lift up our eyes above it that we might live our lives in hope and expectation that surely you are coming. I might not know the day, I might not know the hour, but surely you are coming. And may that expectation that you are coming, may it animate each and every one of our lives that we wake up every morning and we look to you. We walk through every day and we're looking to you because you promised that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I speak your blessing over each and every heart and every life in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Stand with me. God is good.
Just take some time to look at some running water today and say, ooh, isn't this wonderful? <laughs>